Bibles, you can go to um, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23. Uh, there's some, there's, I love this story. This is an amazing story um, in the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 23. I heard this story, uh, and, I, and I thought this was great. Uh, I, I heard this story of a lady with her toddler. She was shopping on, on Black Friday. Anybody go out on Black Friday? A few of you went out on Black You made it. You're here today. You got something to be thankful for uh, on Black Friday. Um, but this lady, she went out on Black Friday, and she had her toddler with her. And, you know, her toddler was crying and um, throwing a tantrum. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any of you parents know what I'm talking about? You've had a toddler. They just do it for no reason sometimes. And this, this uh, woman and her child... Her child was throwing a tantrum, and the, and, and the mom incredibly had it handled so well, and the mom is sitting there calmly. She's saying, shh, shh, Sarah, it's okay. Shh, shh, Sarah, calm down, and this, this child is throwing a tantrum. And the lady observing this walked by and said, I want to compliment you on how you're handling the situation. You're calm and you're collected, and I would have lost my mind with if my daughter had been throwing a fit like your daughter's throwing a fit right now. And the lady leaned down to the toddler throwing the fit and said, Sarah, what is the problem? And the mom says, oh, that's not Sarah. I'm Sarah. This is my daughter, Kelsey. So how many know that it's that time of year, right? You might have to have that conversation with yourself some in, in Walmart or in JC, you know, when you're out and about. So Second uh, Samuel. Um, chapter 23. Thank you, Kentley. Man, bless you. Come on, let's give our worship team a hand. Didn't they do a good job today? Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 13 is where we're, we're going to be. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen. And uh, you'll just have to take our word that that is what's in the word of God. All right? This is what it says. And, and there, uh, and and three of the thirty chief men went down and came down about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. Verse fifteen, and David said longingly, "Oh, that someone." would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem. Uh, that is by the gate. Verse 16, then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. Now look at this. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out. To the Lord, verse 17, and said, far, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went and to risk their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things uh, the three mighty men did. Bow your heads. Let's pray today. Um, I want to I I speak to you on this simple topic of water worth pouring out. Water worth pouring out. All right. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your blessings. God, thank you for bringing us together again today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint your vessel today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak. God, I pray that life-giving 
uh, words would be spoken, God. Your word is already anointed, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would just use these lips of clay today to deliver what you need to deliver. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? All right, everyone look at your neighbor real, real fast. Just smile at them real quick. Show them your teeth. Don't take them out. But show them your teeth and say, say, it is good to see you today. Come on, there you go. All right. All right, I want to make sure. Um, so I, m- most of you know this. I'm not originally from here in Indiana. Um, uh, I've, I've lived several places. But how many have ever lived somewhere besides here in Indiana? All right, there's a lot of hands going up. And, and when you live somewhere else and then you get away from that place, there's certain things that you, you kind of start to crave that you miss about that place that when you live there, you take for granted. There's moments where that happens. So uh, my wife, she's born and raised in California, and that's where I met her, that Beach Boy song. That was for me. I wish they all could be California girls because I married one. All right, this Midwest boy went out in California, stole one, and brought her back to the Midwest. Amen. All right. That may not mean anything to you, but that means a lot to me. But but when we go back to see her family, when we go back to where she's from, we there's a couple of places that we like to go that, that are not around here. One of the places that we like to go to when it, while we're in California, and some people say this is con- controversial, and I'll tell them that they are wrong, their opinion is wrong. But we always have to go to this place called In-N-Out Burger. That's going to be in heaven. You know how I know that? Because if you take their fries and you turn them upside down, they have Bible scriptures on, their, on the bottom of their fries and on their cups. Uh, th- that and Chick-fil-A, that's all you need right there, right? Jesus chicken and Jesus burgers right there. So uh, um, so we, we, always, we always hit in and out You know, some people go out there and say, I don't like in and out And I'm like, okay, you can have steak and shake all day long. You could keep that if you want. But uh, another thing that we like to do that we crave when we go back and we always have to go is we eat Basque food. Anybody ever ate Basque food? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, that's a region in, in uh, uh, southern France and northern Spain, and it's a type of, of food. But for whatever reason, there where we lived in California, there is a lot of Basque food, and it's like an 11-course meal, and they just keep bringing food out to you. Bring, and my, it sounds like my kind, your kind of place, right? My kind of place for sure. But we love to go do that. And see, and that's what's happening in this story. David is he's stuck in a cave, and he can't get to... Bethlehem. How many know that David was from Bethlehem? That's where he was from. That's and so he is reminiscing and he is acting like pastor and going, man, I wish I could go back to Bethlehem and get a drink from uh, the well by the gate. There's something special about that. How many remember? How many? I remember going to my grandparents' house at Thanksgiving at Christmas time and getting uh, a, a drink of water. And I loved the water at my grandparents' house. I know that sounds weird. That sounds crazy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, man, I'm talking out in the middle of the Ozarks. My great great grandmother. We would go to her house. She didn't have running water on the inside of her house. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I thought it was the coolest thing. Now I don't think it's the coolest thing. But man, we would. Pump that, prime that pump, and get the water. Some of you are looking at me like, like <laughs> these guys up here, like, what in the world? But some of you older folks are going, I can relate to that. I know what you're talking about. But I remember drinking that water there at my great grandma's, and 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 knowing, hey, this is fresh. This is this is real. This is this is good. So that's what David is doing in this in this moment. How many have ever craved something from your past? Maybe. 
your grandma's uh, favorite dish that she made you or, or something like that. Uh, I love it. Uh, you know, it's not very often that we find ourselves in position where we want to pour out water. I've been out in the desert. I lived in California, and I've been out in the desert, and, and when you're out in the desert, you better ration your water. There's no reason just to pour out your water, right? Uh, one time when we were living out in California, after church one, one Sunday, we went out to eat with some people in the church. We went to a Mexican restaurant, and Zaylee was a toddler. She was really little, and I was holding her in my lap, and, and sure enough, I, I'm eating my food, and being the dad that I am, I'm, I was not paying attention to what she was doing. How many know what's about to happen? And she reached up, and she there's a full cup of Dr. Pepper right in front of me, and she grabbed that cup and dumped it right in my lap. And I just went, <laughs> and the person across from me, he went, and he goes, man, you're handling that a lot better than I would have. And I said, there's nothing I can do about it. Nothing I can change about it at this point, you know. And it was, it was cold, and, I, and when I walked out of the restaurant, I looked like I had wet myself. It was terrible. I mean, I just kind of got out of there as fast as I could. Uh, but, you know, there's not very many instances where, where you take something and you pour out something. Now, to give you a little bit of context of this story here, um, David here in Second Samuel uh, chapter 23, he is actually writing about this on his deathbed. If you go back to, to verse 1, it talks about him there. And David has lived his life, and he's on his deathbed, and he's reminiscing. How many are reminiscing? Sometimes you go, man, I'm, I remember when. You know how I know I'm getting old? When you start reminiscing a lot. Start thinking about the way things used to be, right? And, and so David, he is there, and he is, he's reminiscing, and he's thinking about uh, these these mighty men that he had, and he's talking about three in particular here. And, and Josheb Beth, Beth, man, say that three times fast, is one of those mighty men. And, there, you know, it, and I believe there's another name for him. It's like, like uh, Aondai. I should have picked that one because that one was way easier. But this mighty man, he killed 800 men with his spear. That, that's pretty awesome, right? That's pretty amazing. One guy with his spear took out 800 men. And then David, he's going on, and he goes a little bit further, and he talks about Eleazar. And he fought the Philistines. When everyone else retreated, Eleazar stood there with his sword, and they kept coming, and he kept slicing and dicing, and he kept going. And the, and the, the scripture tells us that he fought so long that when they got to him, the sword was stuck to his hand. He held the sword so tight that it was, was there to his hand, and he could not let it go. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? And then the, the third one is Shammah, which I talked about a few months ago. And, and what I love about this guy is he dug his heels in and he defended uh, the lentil patch or the pea patch that wasn't even his, but it was Israel's. And he said, hey, no way, Jose. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to fight this. I don't care where everyone else goes, but I'm going to defend this pea patch. How many know that we need some people like this in the, in the body of Christ who are willing to have the sword of the Lord in their hand and to begin to cast down imagination and begin to strike down what the enemy's doing? We need some people, some parents who will stand in their pea patch at their house and say, hey, no way, devil, you're not getting my kids. You're not gonna, you're not, I'm not doing this without a fight. 
So look at this. So these were the 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 top uh, uh, three. I don't know. We could liken it to the Secret Service today. These were David's three mighty men. They were tough. They were dependable. They were faithful, and they were resilient. And how many know that we need some Christians like that today? We need some people that are tough, that are resilient, that are dependable, that are faithful. And, and so, so this, is, this is amazing to me. You know what? How many know who Stan Lee is? Well, this group right here probably knows who Stan Lee is. And listen, Stan Lee is the guy who wrote all the Marvel comics and, and came up with all those characters. He stole them right from D.C. I'll just throw that out there for all you, all you Stan Lee. But listen, Stan Lee could not write as good a story as the Lord can make happen. And these three guys, I mean, this, is, this stuff is amazing. So, but I believe there are some principles in this story that are examples for us. How many know that we're called to worship? How many know that we're called to worship? You know, you know, if you don't like worship on this side of heaven, heaven's going to be rough for you because we're going to worship the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And, and so I think there's some great examples for us uh, of worship and to lead us, help us to lead, live a life, a lifestyle that is sold out for Jesus. The scripture tells us to do this. To put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It says put on the garment of praise. You say, I don't feel like praising in the house. Well, you know what? You probably did not put on the garment of praise. It's something that you choose to wear. Today I chose to wear this. I did not go to the closet and this thing did not look at me and say, hey, put me on today, TJ. No, TJ looked in the closet, saw this and said, hey, I think I'm going to wear this jacket today. I chose to wear this today. And listen, as the people of God, we have to choose to worship we have to choose to worship. We have to choose to put on the garment of praise. I don't feel like it. Choose to put it on and say, hey, God, I may be tired today. I may be down in my heart, but I'm going to give you the glory because I choose to put on the garment of praise. Amen? All right. I tell you what, it's amazing. I, today I decided to adorn myself with this garment. And today I decide to adorn myself with the garment of praise, to give all the praise to God in heaven. Amen? Let me ask you this question today. What are you willing to do for the Lord? What are you willing to do for the Lord? We like this question, what is the Lord willing to do for me? But what are you willing to do for the Lord? Are you willing to worship him and continue to worship him until you get your breakthrough? Come on, somebody. Your, your five minutes of, of, of praise and worship, man, sometimes it just don't get, sometimes you just got to go a little bit deeper, a little bit further. You got to go take a few more steps. So are you willing to worship him for the breakthrough or are you willing to worship him in the breakthrough? And maybe that breakthrough hasn't even started yet, but are you willing to give God 100% before even anything breaks. So I want to give you these points. These are, these are going to be simple today. We'll be fast today. And, man, we'll try to be out of here quick. Amen. How many believe in miracles today? All right. I'm the only one that believes in miracles. Lord, help me. Give me faith today. Number one right here. 
You know what I love about this story? This is, this is some principles that I think that, that show us, that can help us in worship. Number one, I love this. These three guys, you know what they did? They heard what the king was thinking. What does that mean? They heard what the king was thinking. They heard what the king was thinking. Think about this. Look at this. Verse, verse 15 says this. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. I'm craving that which I remember at home. I'm craving the well water at great grandma's house. I'm craving grandma's apple pie. I'm craving in and out. Boy, I'm craving that right now. I felt that. And I just, do you feel that? Do you feel the anointing in here? I'm just joking. But David, he's simply reminiscing of his childhood here, and he's, and he's stuck in this cave. He's not quite king because Saul is after him, and he's got this, this band of, of, of guys around him who are crazy and a little bit on the outskirts of society, and they're, they're there with him. But he's in this cave, and he could probably even, he's probably close enough that he can see Bethlehem possibly, and he's in this place that he's probably going, man, I am so close, but I can't get there. How many have ever felt that way before? Oh, so close, but you just can't get over there because the Philistines had surrounded Bethlehem. They had it, they had encamped around it. So he's thinking back and he's going, hey, that well. Now think back to this. David was from Bethlehem. That's probably the well that when he got hot, he went and got water from. That's probably the well that when his family needed water, that's the well that he went to. When his sheep needed water, that's probably the well that he went and drew from. So David David here, to put this back in context, here in Second Samuel, he is dying here, and he's reminiscing about his life. But it amazes me that the thing that he is reminiscing about is this story about the water uh, from Bethlehem, and not the fact that he killed Goliath, and not the fact that he was building uh, the temple, and not the fact that all of these great attributes, but the one thing that he was concerned about was about this water in Bethlehem. And I believe he is remembering this well, and, and I believe in Bethlehem because God had a, pl- a plan. So look at this. I, and you say, well, do, was he a prophet? I think he's saying something very prophetic about Bethlehem. Prophetically, roughly 1,000 years later from the point that David is saying this, there would rise a well out of Bethlehem. And that well is called Jesus Christ. And out of that would be born in Bethlehem. And, and, and you know what? Jesus would say it like this to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 13 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What are you saying, TJ? This is what I'm saying right here. You can try every well in this world. You, and let me tell you something. They will run dry. They will not satisfy. Matter of fact, Jesus, I love one translation. I believe it's the, the, the passion translation in this bit of scripture. It says this. Jesus tells her, hey, this well that Jacob 
dug here, you will be thirsty again if you drink out of this well. But Jesus tells her, hey, if you drink from me, you won't be thirsty again. He's giving her something that will satisfy. You know what? This woman, she had five husbands. She had a relationship. And listen, relationship will not satisfy you. Somebody needs to hear that today. Relationships will not satisfy you because there will be times where those things will run dry. Can I tell you something? Substances, drugs will not satisfy. They are a well that will not satisfy, that will run dry. Listen to me. Alcohol will not satisfy. It will numb, but it will not satisfy. There's jobs and, and relationships will not satisfy. The only thing that will satisfy you is Jesus Christ, the well from Bethlehem. Amen? What I love about this story is David, he's not giving an order here. He's making a statement. He's just saying, oh, man, I wish I had a drink from Bethlehem, from that well in Bethlehem. And he's not giving orders to these guys. You know, this is interesting to me. It's one thing to obey commands by Jesus. But here's, here's this is what I, I, need, I need you to get this. It's another thing to hear his heartbeat. You know the difference between religion and relationship? Relationship, here's the heartbeat of God. Religion says, this is a bunch of do's and don'ts. Ah, you know why I don't sin? Because I love Jesus. I love his heart. I know he has my best interest at heart. I know he's got great things planned for me. And See, here's the thing. You know, David could have looked at these guys and said, hey, go to Bethlehem and get me some water. But he did not command that. He just made this statement in passing. But this is amazing to me. These three guys, they heard him, but they heard his heart. When's the last time that you heard the Lord, but you missed his heart? I've been there. I've done that before. I've heard the word of the Lord, but sometimes I miss it. Amen. Have you been there? Let me ask you this. What motivates you? What motivates you to serve the Lord? Is it a bunch of lists of rules? Or is it, I love the Lord because he's been so good. I just love the Lord. I don't deserve this. And these guys were, were motivated by at least two things I want to look at here real fast. Number one is love. Everyone say love. You know, when we look at these guys, we should be moved by uh, how much that they valued David here. I don't know about you. I don't think there's anybody in this building that I'd be willing to go fight through a bunch of lines to get you a drink from where you grew up. Someone say, well, the feeling's mutual, Pastor. It's all right. But with, with, with you know, what they did is they took the greatest risk of their life. They put their lives on the line to accomplish what David wanted in that moment. What does that say to, to you and me? David, though he was anointed to be, uh, to be king, he, he couldn't do anything to honor them. He couldn't give them medals. and He wasn't king yet. He's running from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. He's in between things here. And so they're doing this not because they're going to get accolades, not because they're going to get a medal, simply because they were motivated, motivated by love. We love, we love David. We'll, we're willing to do this for him. Let me ask you something. What are you motivated by? Is it love for your king? Lord, I will follow you because I love you. 
God, I will follow you to the ends of the earth because I truly love you. I don't care if it's a risk to my life. I don't care if it's a risk to my reputation, Lord. I will follow you. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, I love the Lord. I think this is a beautiful example of how we should live selfishly and how we should serve selflessly uh, Jesus. And so we, we should consider his, his slightest wish. You know, one thing I, I love to do is, is surprise my wife when she thinks I, I'm not listening and I hear her say something and be like, okay, I'm going to put that back in my mind. And then one day come back and surprise her and she'll be like, well, I didn't even know you were paying attention when I said that I wanted this, that, or that. Or, I, you know what, it meant so much to me that you went to Lowe's and we spent a lot of money on, on plants that are going to die. It's not because my wife has a black thumb, but it, it's sometimes it's green, sometimes it's not. I, I'm not bitter, I promise. The altars are open, TJ, right? But what the king desires ought to be what we desire. And they were motivated by love. So look at this. Here's the second thing they were motivated by right here is gratitude. Everyone say Gratitude. Oh, great. Pastor's back on gratitude again. We're talking about gratitude. We just spent three weeks talking about gratitude, and we're back here at gratitude. Who are these mighty men? Let's look at this. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22, you find out that these guys were in distress. They were all in debt. They were discontented in their souls. They were numbered in about 400 back back there in, 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 uh, in 1 Samuel. And David was their captain. How would you like to be the captain of all those rejects? These guys were the rejects of the rejects. Nobody wanted them. They were discontented. They were bitter in their hearts. They were all in debt, and they were in distress. How many can relate? All right, how many can relate to that? And David got the rejects of the rejects. So, so uh, what a crowd David had surrounded himself with, but, but, but he helped turned them around, all right? He helped turn them around, and they became uh, respectable folks who could make a contribution. So I don't know. When I look at this picture, it kind of sounds like the church. kind of sounds like you and me. Everyone looks at your neighbor and say, that sounds like you. Now look back at that person and say, stop being so judgy. Distressed, misfits, bankrupt, outlaws, rogues. And listen to what Paul would say about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And, and this is us. This is us. This is what, this is us. Listen to me. Yeah, I love this bit of scripture. And if you've ever heard me at a funeral, you know I'm going to pull some bit of this scripture out. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7 says, And you were dead in, in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and whereby nature, uh, 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 nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I love verse 4. Uh, everyone look at your neighbor and say, I love verse 4. That, that, those first three verses are a terrible picture, but that is who I am. But look at this. In verse 4, it says, but God. Everyone say, but God. Everyone say, but God. 
Look at this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which uh, which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I was dead to my sins, but because of Jesus, I am alive. How many can relate to that and say, hey, thank God I'm, I may not be what I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Amen. Amen. I love that. But God Oh, I get excited. That man, that, that you, you say, hey, Pastor, you're you're wound up. That's why I shout. Because you don't know where I came from. That's why I cry. Some of you say, Man, sometimes you people are too emotional. If you knew what God brought me out of, if you saw the mess that I was in and you see where he planted me, you would have something to shout about too. How many could say, God's been good to me? Amen. How many could say, hey, God's been good to me? Come on, let's give him a hand clap of praise in this house. And what happens with me is I'm moved with gratitude because I'm like, God, you are giving me what I don't deserve. I deserve a spanking, but, Lord, you're going to let me go free. I deserve to die. The wages of sin is but the free gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift that he is willing to give to you, and he's willing to give to me. And I don't know about you. That gets me jazzed up. I get excited in the Holy Ghost when I think about that. And I am grateful, and I love my Lord, and I have gratefulness for what he's done for me. Amen? I love this. These three men motivated by love and thanksgiving to give the king what he wanted. You know what? Some people say, I, I, and I live by this motto, I don't have to worship, I get to. I don't have to worship, I get to worship the King of Kings because I love him and I'm grateful. Here's number two right here. When we honor God, we dishonor the enemy. Come on, if you're going to do it, do it. Listen, if you're going to do it, do it. When we honor God, we dishonor the enemy. Look at this, verse 16. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. So the Philistines, they had surrounded Bethlehem. And these guys, they risk their life. They risk their skin. They risk everything there for the sake of the king. Can I tell you what they were? They were selfless. And I can't help but think sometimes I'm selfish and not selfless. Oh, it's all about me. Yeah, sometimes in my worship, I'm a little bit selfish. Me, God, me, 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 me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Lord, I don't want to lift my hands in here. What if people see me lifting my hands? What if, what if, what if the Holy Ghost does something to me? What if I get a little bit carried away? What, what will people think if I, if I let? Oh, God's like, get that pride out of the way. Got to be selfless. Selfless, not selfish. So, so when our own agendas of worship die out to his, then it becomes real to us. 
you know what? I, 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 and this is, you know, and I believe the worship wars are over. Thank goodness, man, if you if you live through those times where people were like, well, that's not worship. This is worship. This, you know, everyone has an opinion on what worship is. Can I tell you, worship is not a style. It's not a style of music. It is a lifestyle that you live. Because I can tell you something in our American church and what we've created here. Uh, listen, if you go to, to the Horn of Africa, their worship isn't going to sound like our worship, but it's going to uplift God, and it's going to reach him. I can tell you it's a heart thing. It's not a style, all right? But I love this bit of scripture because it, it, it says this, uh, you know, or, or I read this in a commentary, actually. It says this, how little they feared the Philistines, and they were glad for the occasion to defy them. These three men, uh, they were like, forget them. You know what? I'm okay going in there. I'm willing to risk this because guess what? I'm going to honor the king, and while I'm honoring my king, I'm going to dishonor these heathens in the process. We're going to show them what's up. So look at this. Uh, you know, it's kind of like me, man, when I, when I go to California, and I have a lot of friends out there that are Dodgers fans. Come on, you need to pray for them because I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan through and through. And you need to pray for those people on the West Coast. They need Jesus. I'm just, I'm just teasing. But I have a lot of friends that are Dodgers fans. But listen, what I, what I do when I, when I go out there and they're like, hey, let's go to a baseball game. And I go and I, and I go to Dodger Stadium. Lord, help me. And you know what I do? I wear that red shirt that says St. Louis Cardinal on it, and I wear it proud, and I step into that stadium and say, I'm not intimidated by the blue in this building right now. I'm not intimidated by you guys at all. You know why? Because I cheer for a winning team. Come on, somebody. The Bible does not tell us that how they got behind the enemy lines. It does not tell us how they broke through the enemy lines. This is an important thing here. I, I, you need to pay attention to this. Why? Could it be that the Lord doesn't work in a formula that we think that he has to work in? Maybe we've thought, oh, the only way you can be freed is the way that we've seen it done. But God is not confined to our box. He's not confined to our way of doing things. God is God and you ain't. Let me give you a little theology there. I know you're not supposed to say that. God is God and you ain't. And so God, you know, maybe what we need to do in our life is get a breakthrough in our life. And what does that look like? Maybe we should pray this. God, show me my schedule. Show me my obligations. And I need a breakthrough. Show me what may be holding me back. Maybe the things that I should be doing, I'm not doing because I'm preoccupied with what doesn't matter. It doesn't have eternal value. God, show me these things. And I guarantee you this. If you ask the Lord, hey, show me how to rearrange my life. Show me how to rearrange my prayer life. Show me how to help me with my obligations. Show me how to do things that God will show you if you ask him. Some of you don't want to change. Some of you may not, you could be like, I, I, I'm content with it. Listen, and, and some of you are saying, I don't know why I don't get a breakthrough. Man, you got to do what you've never done to get what you don't have. You got you to try it. You got to try something different. And you know what? That, that is selfless coming to the Lord saying, hey, God, I'm going to surrender my will to yours. God, help me, show me so I can get through this thing. And 
Here's the thing. Some of us need to get on our knees in prayer and intercede once again. Some of us used to be interceders. No longer we our prayer life isn't what it used to be. Our prayer closets are, 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 are filled with junk now. And our Bibles are dusty because we don't open them anymore. And our house, which was once filled with praise and worship, is now filled with filth and whatever is on TV at the moment. And here's what I, I want to tell you. Is some of us need to shake off the weight of this world and put on the garment of praise again. This world's heavy. Throw it off. Put on the garment of praise. Uh, say, oh, the enemy's surrounding. And, and listen, when the enemy's surrounding, uh, the enemy wants to surround what will set you free. And this is what I can tell you. When the enemy's fighting you the hardest, you're probably closest to your breakthrough. He knows it. Listen, do you think it was easy for those guys, these three guys, to break through the Philistine camp and to get in there? To do, no, I'm sure there, there was some fight. And, this, and, this, and, and let me tell you something. Hell will fight you to keep you from getting there. But listen, you've got to move as a believer in Christ. You've got to start moving in the offensive instead of always being in the defensive mode. You got to put one foot in front of the other. God, I'm going to praise you today. God, I'm going to read my Bible today. God, I'm going to pray like I've never prayed today. God, I'm going to take keep taking steps forward. And this is what happens when we begin to move in the power of God and in Jesus Christ. The enemy starts backtracking and he starts stepping back and we start taking ground. How many want to take ground for Jesus? Amen. Come on, give him a hand. Number three, worship team, come. Man, praise the Lord. Amen. Number three, right here. I love this. Water worth pouring out. Water worth pouring out. It says this in, in the second part of verse 16. It says this, but he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of this man who went at the risk of their lives, therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. So I'm going to say this, and I said this a few weeks ago. When the praises go up, God's blessings come down. When the praises go up, God's blessings come down. Why does that happen? Because there's an atmosphere that changes. When we begin to worship the Lord, I don't always feel like worshiping the Lord. Hey, pastor's being real and transparent. I don't always feel like it. Sometimes I just want to sit in the corner, cross my arms, and, and look at, look, just look like some of you are looking at me right now. I don't always feel that way, but you know what? It's a choice that I have to make. And as a believer, can I tell you something? When I begin to worship the Lord... When I begin to lift him up, the atmosphere changes around me, and it changes in me. Let me give you an example right here. In, in, in Acts chapter uh, 16, Paul and Silas, they're in prison, and they are, they are locked down. And, and Scripture tells us that, that they are locked there, and they're probably in a place where they're in between standing and sitting. So like this. That's miserable. And in the middle of their prison, you know what I love about them? They chose to put on the garment of praise. In the middle of their prison, they chose to say, hey, you know what? I'm uncomfortable. It stinks down here. Silas, your breath stinks. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put on the garment of praise. 
when I don't know what to do, I do know this. I need to worship the Lord. When I don't feel like it, I know I need to worship the Lord. In my darkest hour, I know I can still worship the Lord. And this is what I've learned about the Lord. You cannot outgive God. He will not let you. 100%. So your worship to him is amazing. He loves it. I, I, I'll give you some scripture here in a minute. He loves it. But let me tell you something. God wants to pour out on you. And he says, hmm, there's something happening down there in Cornerstone right now. The people of God, they're, they're lifting their hands. They're worshiping. There's something happening. I, I smell there's a fragrance of worship coming up. We sang about that. Let incense rise. And he's like, there's something going on down there. You know what I think I'll do? I think I'll come and rest right there where they're at. This is beautiful. So David, he took and he poured out that which was precious to him. I love this. This is a beautiful picture. These guys risked their life to bring him this water. I don't know if I'd have been those three guys. I'd have been like, okay, David, we're going to have a talk. But he poured out that which was precious to him. And that's what our worship is. You know how I know that? You could be anywhere else today. Somebody say, I wish I was. You could be anywhere else today. But you chose to be in the house of the Lord. You chose to be here to say, hey, Lord, I I give you praise. I give you honor. I give you glory. And maybe you feel like Paul and Silas in the middle of your trial. Maybe you just need to choose to put on the garment of praise and say, God, I'm going to praise you in this time. I'm going to praise you in this prison. Because I believe this is what happens. When we begin to praise God in the midst of the darkest times in our life, God can change and God can can change our situation. Not only does God change our situation, but he changes the situation around us. You know that story, an earthquake happened. God caused an earthquake and they were all free and all of the prisoners were free. You know, your praise can be a breakthrough for someone else around you. Maybe you're praying for a kid, a wayward child. Your praise can break the prison that's holding your kids. See, this is what I know about worship. It costs us something. I'll give you some things that it costs us. Number one, it may cost you your pride or your reputation. Well, that person's just a worshiper. I don't like the way they worship the Lord. Well, you know what, you'll grouch. Look at David in, in 1 Samuel chapter 6. The Ark of the Covenant's coming back, and he is stopping, and he is worshiping. They're taking so many steps. They're stopping. They're worshiping the Lord. They're taking a few more steps. They're stopping in the worship of the Lord. And David does this consecutively all the way to Jerusalem. And in the process of coming into Jerusalem, he starts worshiping the Lord, and his wife looks down at him, Saul's daughter. He says, you're a king. Why are you dancing like that? Why are you worshiping like that? And David makes this statement, I'll become even more undignified than this. Because you know what? I care about the heartbeat of my king more than I do the murmurs of people. People say this, hey, you're crazy about Jesus. I sure am. 
love him. And I want you to know him. And I want you to feel the same way that I feel about him. Here's the second thing it'll cost us, our time. You know, time is the currency that we all have. Some of us have more than others. But time in service for him and time in worship to him. You know what I've learned about worship? You can't rush worship. Well, I've got, uh, you know, I've got things to do today. Well, maybe God has things to do in you. And maybe you're just in too big of a rush to get your breakthrough. God's not breaking. Well, press a little bit further. Here's here's another one right here. Oh, everyone's going to, you know what? You can roll over on your wallet. Money. I'm not asking for money today, but listen to me. Money. It's another way we can worship. We don't worship with our money because God needs your money. You know why? It's about our heart. God's interested in your heart. God doesn't need our money. God can do whatever he wants, but he is interested in our heart. Matter of fact, Jesus would say this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, right? Look at your checkbook. See what you're spending money on. That's where your heart is. Ooh, that's tough, Pastor. Oh, it's a hard look. But you know why we give? We give in generosity because we know it all belongs to God, and where our money goes, our heart follows. Hey, Lord, use this. Spread your kingdom. Do whatever you need to do. Here's, the, here's another one. Here's another thing that we give up when we worship is our comfort. <sighs> I don't feel like lifting my hands today. I don't feel like kneeling today. I don't feel like closing my eyes. I, don't, I just want to sit here. Maybe it's uncomfortable for you, but listen to me. Can I tell you something? It, it may mean that your arms get a little bit tired from lifting your hands. You need to stretch them anyways. Lift them anyways. Say, God, to you be the glory. God, to you I surrender. To you I need. God, I I need you more today than I did yesterday. But here's what happens. When we begin to worship the Lord, I believe the Lord begins to pour out his goodness, his grace, and his mercies on us. The Bible says this, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Listen, when we take the step towards him and begin to worship him, he, God says, ah, I see that, I'm coming at you. We are to be poured out in worship and service and, and in our testimony to the Lord. I love this in 2 Timothy 4, 6, Paul says it like this, and he's about to die. Paul knows he's about to die, and he tells young Timothy this. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. What does that mean? He's saying this. Hey, I'm 100% giving God all of me in my worship and in my service and in my testimony. It doesn't matter what I want. I say what you want, Lord, nothing else. My life, my testimony, my worship, my service. I believe this, that when we hear the Lord's heartbeat and we begin to live a life of worship, we seek to only honor God. When we only honor God, when we begin to honor God, we begin to dishonor the enemy. How many want to give the devil a black eye? Amen. We dishonor the enemy, and we pour our hearts out to him. Will you bow your heads with me just in this moment? If you're here today, you say, hey, pastor, I hear you. I hear you. I heard you talking about that well of Bethlehem, Jesus. And Jesus would say today to you, listen to me, under the sound of my voice today, if you don't know, know him, he would say to you, come and drink from this well. And this is the moment.